Chapter 42 Could you have dawdled any longer? Ravali asked Link, as Teba landed on Meadow's wing. The sun had risen in the east, and the Divine Beast was already in the air. Rather than try to find a place to hang on while the Divine Beast unfolded itself and took flight, they decided that it would just be easier for Link to be carried up to Meadow. The air was frigid this high up, and Link was dressed in his heavier Rito clothing, along with the cloak they gave him. You know I can't go anywhere without a good meal, Link said. Rivali looked at him with apparent disdain. Gorging yourself before facing certain doom. Can't find monsters on an empty stomach. I think I liked you better when you didn't speak. I'm sure. Link stepped up to the Rito, and despite their words, smiled. Rivali smirked. Are you two done? Teba asked. Rivali looked back over his shoulder and rolled his eyes. This one flies far too stiffly. He looked at Link. Kind of like you, actually. No wonder you get along. Teba harumphed and turned, spreading his wings. He wouldn't be flying with them to Gerudo Desert, having chosen instead to remain behind in Rito Village. Their search for Link had delayed his plan to push back the Wolfos near the flight range, and he planned to go out today with a few warriors. See you later. Do me a favor, and don't disappear this time, he said before taking flight. Meadow tilted slightly as it turned south. Ravali made no indication of controlling the Divine Beast. His mental connection with it was as strong as the other champions had been, after defeating the creature aboard. They stood together for a time, the only sound coming from the wind as Meadow began its slow flight to the desert. Finally, Ravali cleared his throat, which seemed strange to Link, considering he had no actual body, and looked at him. So, he said, Last one? Link nodded. Last one. I see you went and found your old sword again. Hopefully you're more prepared to face Scannon than you were last time. Link looked at Ravali, raising an eyebrow. What? Ravali asked. I'm being serious. We already know I'm ready. Well, now you are. And that's all that matters. They fell silent again for a time before Rivali spoke up again. So, how was the princess doing? Link had told Rivali about his journey into the castle the night before. Lorito surprisingly didn't even tease him for it. Even he seemed to understand why Link had done it, despite it being an ultimately useless gesture. She's hanging on, Link said, looking back towards the east. Rivali nodded. You know... I once considered her talentless. Link felt the prickle of irritation at that, and looked at Rivali. The Rito, however, looked thoughtful, and perhaps a little regretful. If I had known what was going to happen, and what she would do, I... Well, I was mistaken in my estimation of her. Link relaxed some. I think she was stronger than any of us in the end. Ironic, isn't it? Rivali crossed his wings, tapping one of his fingers thoughtfully. 
We all had our special abilities and weapons. We all wondered if the goddess would eventually deem her worthy. And well, here we are. Link narrowed his eyes slightly. He could faintly recall something. It was at the edges of his memory. Even without her power, we wouldn't have gotten anywhere without her. She was the expert on the Divine Beasts. The whole reason Meadow ever flew after it was dug up because of her. True. Though, I wonder if we would have been better off without the Divine Beasts. No, Link said. Ganon still would have had the Guardians. At least we can use the Divine Beasts now. Yeah, and then we wouldn't have been relying on them so much, Rivali said. We could have fought back against the Guardians. Maybe, but... Link hesitated and then shook his head. No, Ganon would have still won. None of us were prepared for him to take over the Guardians. And are you now? Link looked at Rivali with some surprise. But he brought up a good point. The Guardians were strong and numerous. Even with Robbie's weaponry and an army behind them. Could they defeat the Guardians if Ganon gained complete control over them again? He hoped that Pura's research would turn something up. The Sheikah are working on that, he said finally. Because they were so helpful last time. We all made mistakes. Rivali didn't respond, simply gazing out at the land as it passed underneath. Link remained by his side for a time before stepping away and sitting down with his back against one of the pillars near the wing's edge, where he could look over and see their passage. It would take a while to reach the desert, roughly five to six hours according to Rivali's estimation, which was of course far shorter a time period than it would have taken Link by foot or even riding on the back of one of the Rito. Meadow did not move extremely fast. A horse at full gallop was faster, but it could fly without stopping to rest and without regard to the contours of the land. He found himself wishing he could speak to Zelda again, or even to just be able to air his thoughts aloud, as he had been doing so often lately, but he didn't feel comfortable doing so while Rivali was near. So he removed the Sheikah slate and opened up the gallery, gazing down at the photographs. Link found the one taken at the Sand Seal race, or a race. He had a vague idea of what had followed that event, based on his thoughts on that day and the memory he had of the evening spent with Raleigh, Urbosa, and Daruk following the Champion Festival at the beginning of the summer that year. He and Zelda had traveled back to the castle after spending a long time in the desert, and the king had thrown his false celebration. But what happened between that, or after? Mashika Slate held few answers for him. There were a number of photographs following the one taken at the race, but none of them seemed to trigger his memories at the moment. Her diary, likewise, held only vague answers for his memories at the moment. So he focused on something else. What he'd felt earlier when speaking with Rivali. Something about what he'd said had triggered something in Link's memory. He'd learned to listen to those subtle cues in his subconscious. We all had our abilities and weapons. He closed his eyes, chasing the memory in his mind. He reached for the faint familiar feeling, pressing against the mental barrier that kept his memories locked away. Finally, as he strained to recall whatever it was that he sought, the barrier broke. Sensations, feelings, and words rushed in. 
he remembered. Sav Seba. Link jerked awake at the voice, thrashing to get out from his bed covers. A tall, shadowy form stood over him, backlit by soft torchlight from out in the castle hall. The person laughed, however, and Link froze, squinting up at the figure. Urbosa? he said finally. It is good you finally awoke, Urbosa said, stepping back so that she was better illuminated by the faint light coming in from the hall. I stood in here for two minutes. You need to develop some better instincts if you're going to keep following the princess around. What? Link frowned at her, his mind still groggy. What time is it? Why are you here? And then his thoughts sped up. Princess Zelda. He sat up abruptly. Is she okay? Did something happen? Oh, she's fine. Urbosa waved a hand. She just can't sleep. Link was so confused. Then why wake me? Urbosa snorted. Because she would like to speak with you. Why else? Avo. Now? No, over supper. She said, voice growing sharp. Yes, now. And she sent you to wake me. Urbosa placed her hands on her hips, staring at Link. One would think a knight would be more responsive to a princess's summons. Link hesitated for just another moment before silently acknowledging that Urbosa was right. He moved to remove his blankets but stopped, looking back up at her. Well, could you leave? I'm not dressed. The tall Gerudo laughed again. You Hylians, and your modesty. Always so embarrassed by the sights of a little skin. Link felt his face flush. He knew exactly what she was referring to. Finally, gritting his teeth, he threw the blankets off of him and stood, wearing nothing more than a pair of undershorts. Urbosa's smirk was just barely visible in the dim light before she turned and walked out of the room. She closed the door behind her, plunging his modest interior chamber into darkness. Link felt his way to his dresser and removed a tunic and a pair of trousers blindly. He dressed quickly, slipped his feet into his boots and belted on the Master Sword. One never could be too careful, even in the castle, before exiting out into the hall. Urbosa stood just outside of his room, arms crossed. When Link stepped out, she looked at him critically for a moment before nodding and turning. She walked down the hall, with long strides, and he had to hurry to keep up. Damn the Gerudo and their long legs. You know, I am proud of you, she said after a few moments of walking. Her voice seemed too loud in the otherwise quiet hall. What time was it? Why's that? You have done well with her. She is doing better, despite her father's best efforts. Link felt a stab of concern at that. Speaking in such a way about the king in his very own castle was dangerous. It wasn't that he was a particularly vengeful man, but he was stern, and Urbosa was his guest, just as Link was his knight. He knew what Urbosa referred to, however. The champion's festival that they'd held two days prior. Princess Zelda had been quiet and reserved ever since, spending an alarming amount of time up in her tower. She hadn't spoken much to Link in that time, either which was part of the reason Urbosa remained. The other champions had already departed, 
but Urbosa stayed for an extra few days, spending much of her time in the tower with the princess. When he didn't respond, Urbosa looked down at him with a smirk. It isn't just her. I notice that you seem to be more relaxed now, too. We're back at the castle, he said, slightly more defensively than necessary. There are fewer dangers here, and more guards. Urbosa snorted. Now don't pretend you don't know what I mean. He did know what she meant, but he didn't feel much like talking about it with her. He did feel more relaxed around other people since the desert, since he had spoken with the princess about his burden. It wasn't a dramatic difference for him. The burden remained just as it had before, but having even one person to share it with helped. The Garuda woman sighed again. Both of you are exactly alike. Davy. Link looked up at her, eyebrow raised. What does that mean? Children, Urbosa said. He pursed his lips. They walked in silence for a time until she led him to a door that led out to one of the castle gardens. He frowned when she stopped at the door, motioning for him to go out. Go on. She wants to talk to you. He felt his pulse quicken at the words, and he stepped outside. Urbosa closed the door to the garden behind him. The garden was one of the more secluded locations in the castle grounds, surrounded on one side by the rock that made up the mountain that the castle had been built into, and a castle wall on the other. The only way into the garden was by way of two doorways. He was surprised that the flowers within even got enough light to bloom. It took Link a moment to find Princess Zelda, the garden was not large, but it was still dark out, and there were no torches here. There were, however, several blue nightshades that formed a narrow path to a pond near the back, where a small statue of Hylia stood. The princess sat on a stone bench, looking down towards her hands. She looked up when he approached, eyes widening. She stood up quickly. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I told her not to wake you. Honestly. She told me that she was just stepping inside to fetch us something to drink. He paused, confused. Princess, it's... It's all right. But if you'd rather me not be here... No, she blurted. And then looked embarrassed. No, it's... Quite all right. You can stay. After a moment, she sat back down and motioned for him to sit next to her on the bench. Feeling oddly nervous, he sat down, making sure to keep a respectful distance between them. What would the servants think if they were to look out of one of their windows and see the two of them out there? It wasn't something he relished thinking about. They sat in silence for a time. Princess Zelda had her back turned away from the goddess statue, looking instead at the field of flowers. The nightshades cast a soft blue hue, illuminating her expression. She appeared anxious. Princess? He said. She looked up at him. Is everything all right? Her eyebrows lifted. She looked surprised at his question. Perhaps it was the fact that he'd asked it at all. She met his eyes, and he had the distinct impression that she was searching his for something. He forced himself not to look away, despite the fact that everything about the situation he found himself in seemed highly irregular, perhaps inappropriate. She made a decision. He could see it in her eyes, in the set of her jaw, and the way she took a deep breath, 
like she always did before saying something serious. I have been avoiding you. What? Since the Champions Festival. I know that I shouldn't have been, of course, but I have been. Where had that come from? It was true that Link had seen less of her since the festival, but it had only been two days. He had been maintaining his normal duties, including taking watches at her door at times, but the situation at the castle had not necessitated his constant presence, as was required while traveling. He'd even spent some time with his family, entrusting her safety to other royal guards. I apologize, Princess Zelda continued. In truth, with the Champions Festival, I... Well, I hadn't much of a desire to spend time with anyone, and I do still at times find myself intimidated. He felt a surge of alarm. He'd rose up in the back of his neck, and he sat up straighter. Intimidated, Princess. If I have done anything to... She held up her hand, cutting him off. She met his eyes and shook her head, though didn't immediately speak. Finally, she rose and began to pace on the grassy path, careful not to trod upon the flowers. It isn't you. It's really never been about you. I was... She sighed, clenching one of her hands into a fist. Jealous. Because you drew the master's sword. Link felt a lead weight settle in his stomach. He wondered if she knew that Urbosa told him that very fact. Of course, he'd never say anything, content to know that they had begun to get along. He noticed that she was looking at him now, as if gauging him for a reaction. When he didn't immediately give one, she began to pace again, looking frustrated. It was silly, I know. You and I have different tasks, different roles to play in the coming conflict, but it angered me to no end that you were just able to walk up and pull it out, like it was nothing. I'd seen other men try to do it, Link. No one could do so. In fact, many spoke of how they felt physically weak after trying, as though the Master Sword had drained them of their strength for even daring to touch it. Yet you just walked up. There was no fanfare, no ceremony. We were walking together, and... You just removed it from the stone. It was like you were just curious what would happen. It wasn't, he said haltingly. He was feeling increasingly confused by her behavior. Gone was the sorrow he'd seen earlier replaced by a kind of fierce determination. He was worried that she would get angry. I think it called me somehow. She paused, looking at him, and he did see a flash of something like anger in her eyes. But then it faded. It took her a moment before she began speaking again. When she did, she was turned away from him. See? That. That is what bothered me so much. She wrapped her arms around herself. It still does. You have your sword. The others have their abilities, and of course, they're divine beasts, but I... I have nothing. Ling remained silent, unsure of how to respond. When... When my mother died, I thought that the worst part of it would be the inability to see or speak to her again. Shouldn't that be the worst part of losing a parent, being unable to be around them anymore? It was as if icy fingers had reached into Link's chest and wrapped themselves around his heart, 
Everything grew still, silent. He gripped his trousers in tight fists. He could hear her breathing, see the way her shoulders rose and fell with every breath. But at times, it feels as though I was never even allowed to maud my mother properly. No, because then more of the fortune teller's predictions started coming true, and the signs of Calamity Ganon's return grew more apparent. And suddenly, the worst part of her death was not the loss of a mother, but the loss of a teacher. Someone who could have taught me how to harness the royal family's ceiling power, perhaps even someone worthier than I, to fight against the Calamity. She grew silent again. Link remained on the bench, feeling helpless. What could he say to comfort her, to ease her pain? I... he began. She stiffened slightly at his voice, glancing over her shoulder. I don't know if I ever truly had the chance to mourn my mother either. She turned, frowning, but didn't interrupt him. Link sighed softly. It's just... She passed away so shortly before I drew the sword. My father hadn't even come back from putting the household in order. I had only just recently returned myself. And nothing else mattered after you drew the sword, she said, her voice soft. Exactly. After that, I stopped being Link, son of Arn, and Medelia. Then I was just... the hero. She gazed at him for a time, and then looked up, as if offering a silent prayer to the heavens. When she looked back down at him, her expression had firmed. I have devoted my entire life to awakening these powers. You've seen me. You know what I must do each day in order to fulfill my role. I have done these things since I was a child, and I will continue to do them until the goddess deems me worthy. Her eyes slid past Link to look at the statue of Hylia. If she deems me worthy. I believe she will, he said, looking at her. She met his eyes, considering. She came to her decision and walked over, sitting back down on the bench next to him. I want to ask you something. Of course, princess. You are my personal knight, assigned to me by my father. By his order, you will go with me wherever I go, protect me with your shield, and should the need arise, lay down your life in order to save mine. These are the oaths that you swore. Link nodded. He could remember the day all too well. You are all of these things because my father commanded it. You were also chosen by the Master Sword, and therefore the champion of Hyrule. Yes. I want to ask you to be something else. Something perhaps far less important than either of those other titles, yes. Indefinitely more important to me. Link met her eyes, feeling both excited and nervous. What could be more important to her than his place as champion? His heart beat rapidly within his chest, his hands felt sweaty. I want you to be my friend, she said, holding his gaze. He opened his mouth but found that he didn't know what words he could say. In truth, he thought they were already on the path to that. His father spoke of his friendship with the king, albeit with the respectful boundaries dictated by propriety, and Link assumed that, following the desert, he and the princess would have the same. 
However, seeing her eyes now, he realized that this was not what she was asking of him. I know this is an odd request, silly and childish even, she said after a few moments of silence. But I will not presume friendship with you, Sir Link, nor all that it would entail. All that it would entail, he thought, incredulous. She was still looking at him, waiting for an answer. Of course, princess. I would be your friend, he said, with a note of uncertainty in his voice. She didn't look convinced. I know that it was not all that long ago that we were on less than pleasant terms with each other. But I asked you to forgive me, and you seemed sincere in your acceptance. So, I would hope that the mistakes of the past no longer stand between us. He felt himself beginning to smile. He almost started chuckling. This was by far the oddest conversation that he thought he'd ever had with her, and she'd recently taken to speaking of her studies and experiments with him. I'm being serious, she said, frowning. Perhaps you are perfectly capable of making friends with whoever you meet, but... Princess, I am not able to do anything of the sort, he said. Then he flushed, realizing that he had cut her off. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have... She shook her head quickly and fell silent. If we're going to be friends, then that needs to change too. What does? The hesitance, the deference, the titles. Her eyes widened. From now on, I want no more titles between us. Your Highness, I'm not certain if I can... Zelda. My name is just Zelda. When we are traveling together, or when we are in private, I just want to be Zelda. Will you please do that for me? She paused and then added, Link? The impropriety of it raged within him. No titles, no deference. What she was asking him wasn't just odd, it was outrageous. He thought he could be removed from his station for half of what had already transpired this night. This request was too much, yet... I guess we are the same, you and I. She had a facade, just as he did. The royal princess, stern, unapproachable, faithful to a fault. Always focused on the future, but unafraid. She, too, played the role that others around her needed to see. They were the same. He looked at her. Her eyes held such hope. They pled with him, and he couldn't help but to imagine what things must have been like for her growing up. Not even just as a princess, but someone who was supposed to be far greater. Always surrounded by priests and scholars, spending every morning and evening in prayer, praying that somehow she would be able to live up to her destiny. And she felt that she could be honest with him. She didn't want to wear that mask around him. Zelda. The word carried with it the weight of impropriety, but also friendship. A bond between them, eh? He laughed. Zelda looked at him, tilting her head slightly in confusion. What? It's our names. They're a, uh... Link between us. We're linked by our names. Linked. He tried to smile, but it was bad. It was so very bad. He regretted every single word that had come out of his mouth. Zelda's eyebrows rose and her mouth opened to a small O. There was a silence for several precious seconds. He actually wondered if he could run. Just go back to his room and forget this moment ever happened. 
But then she laughed. It was actually more of a giggle. Her cheeks turned pink, and she covered her mouth, but she giggled nonetheless. He felt his own cheeks burning. That was... she said as she caught her breath. That was truly spectacularly terrible. But she grinned at him, and Link felt himself grinning back. You should be ashamed of yourself. How many others have been subjected to that awful pun? Oh, I am. Ashamed, I mean. He said, but he no longer felt it. He'd never seen her laugh like that, and found that he very much so wanted to see it again. She met his eyes, her expression warm. Thank you, Link. After the last few days, I... I needed this. Of course, Prince... He stopped himself as she raised an eyebrow. Zelda. She smiled in satisfaction. The sun was bright overhead, though it did little to warm Link at this altitude. He watched as they passed snow-capped plateaus and mountains. Because of their height, Ravali had been forced to take Meadow even higher, at one point through a series of clouds, which left Link's cloak damp, though it did keep the water off his clothing underneath. When the clouds broke, however, Link found himself looking down on the Gerudo Highlands, he could see the remnants of an old village on top of one of the plateaus, the building's roofs long since caved in by thick snow. He could see the hardiest of animals and trees, and even saw what he thought must have been one of the giant stone taluses that Bolden had told him about. It was a giant creature, made of interlocking boulders with no discernible face. It walked atop one of the plateaus seemingly without purpose, though it did pause as they passed overhead. He thought that it was looking at them despite its lack of eyes. And then suddenly the snow was gone, replaced by rock and sand as they reached the edge of the highlands. The land dropped away from them, the highlands ending in sheer cliff faces that fell hundreds and maybe even thousands of feet, terminating in gold sand dunes. Meadow tilted down gently, though the shift was enough to make Link stand and place a hand against the pillar for additional support. They gradually descended and the land rose up to meet them. As they sank, he began to see other details. Occasional plants, though they were unlike the plants he was used to. Small, shriveled things that remained close to the ground, or spiny cacti, dotted the landscape. As did various desert animals. He saw people, too. A group of tents sat next to a herd of camels. As they passed overhead, a tall Garuda woman stepped out of one of the tents, looking up and shielding her eyes. He carefully made his way over to where Ravali still stood, unaffected by Meadow's motion. Ravali glanced at him when he stepped up beside him and nodded, but said nothing. They hadn't spoken much on the trip over. Ravali had seemed deep within his own thoughts. Link, for his part, had been sorting through his newly remembered meeting with Zelda, which had brought with it a new wealth of details and emotion. The desert was large, and the flight through the desert took longer than Link had initially expected. As they descended, the day began to grow warmer, until he was forced to change out of his warm Rito clothing into his simple tunic and trousers. The heat only increased, however, and he eventually tied a bandana around his head to prevent sweat from dripping down into his eyes. Some of the dunes in the desert rose, as if in an attempt to meet them, while other areas were long expanses of flat rock and sand. Seeing the desert from this angle, it surprised Link how much variety there was. 
They passed entire towns and cities, as well as other wandering tribes of Gerudo. They flew over markets, bazaars, and the occasional oasis. Oddly, Link didn't remember as much being present when he visited with Zelda, but there remained many holes in his memory of the time. In all likelihood, he just didn't remember such things. Certainly, seeing things from above gave him a much broader perspective than he would have had back then. Their flight caused a commotion among the Gerudo tribes, which only grew more apparent as they neared the desert's center and capital, Gerudo Town. As they flew, Link saw groups of Gerudo riding ahead of them on tall, lean horses, or riding on sleds pulled by sand seals. Eventually, Meadow outstripped them all due to its tireless flight, yet they continued to ride, clearly hoping to give some warning. Link, Rivali said, drawing his attention away from some of the riders that they flew over. Look. He turned to look where Rivali had indicated, and that was when he saw it. A towering whirlwind of sand and lightning that reached high into the air. It was difficult to make anything else out, so he brought out his Sheikah Slate using its magnification to get a closer view. As the bolts of lightning flashed within the enormous sandstorm, he saw the faint outline of Divine Beast Va Noboris as its center. It stood upon four legs and walked laboriously. The lightning appeared to originate from just above the Divine Beast. He thought that he could see evidence of the storm's destructive power. The sand rushed and billowed around it, extending far beyond the mechanical creature at its center. And when the lightning struck the ground, it sent up gouts of sand and rock. He felt anger bubble up from within him. In the center of that beast of destructive power was Ganon's final piece, the creature that killed his friend and assisted in terrorizing this land. And he felt something else, too. A pull. A need to eliminate the darkness at the heart of that storm. It took him a moment before he realized that the sensation was not coming from within himself, but originated from the Master Sword. It desired to destroy the evil thing just as much as he did. Need me to drop you off on it? Ravali asked, looking at him with a smirk. Looks like it should be a pretty simple fix. As easy as printing a few feathers. Link shook his head, looking ahead to where Gerudo Town had come into view, over the rise of another large dune. The jewel of Gerudo Desert stood sentinel at the center of the desert, its great stone walls and brightly tiled aqueducts visible, even from a distance. Despite its humble name, it was an enormous city, larger even than the Zora capital. While most of its buildings were squat stone structures, many rose above the others with multiple floors and towers that reached for the sky with richly decorated balconies. At the far end of the city was a trio of tall rock formations, tapered in the center while expanding near their peaks. Water streamed off these rocks, forming the source for the aqueducts. A structure had been built, carved, out of the trio of towers, which had themselves apparently once been a single rock many years before. The structure was large and imposing, with multiple levels and a staircase leading up to its entrance. The palace. It took Link only a split-second decision before he pointed at it. I'll get off there. Brave man, Rivali said, angling Meadow to fly towards the center of the city. Looking to make a splash, I take it? Link nodded, turning to gather up his gear. 
I don't have time to waste any longer. I'm ready to see this finished. Rivali grunted. Could have fooled me. You were the one who decided to nap for 100 years. And then I woke up and saved your tail feathers. Don't forget that. Lurido harumphed, crossing his wings over his chest. Ready? And Meadow began to sharply tilt to the side. Rivali! Link said, desperately reaching for one of the pillars before he lost his footing and tumbled down the wing. Rivali merely laughed, and the ground righted itself again. Underneath, the entire city's populace appeared to have emerged from their homes to observe the giant winged divine beast as it flew straight for the palace. Link saw a disconcerting number of them, wielding swords and spears. Hopefully this isn't a terrible mistake, he mused as he prepared his paraglider. It probably was, but it probably wouldn't be his worst mistake since waking. Make a splash. Make them listen to you. Link, Ravelli said, and he looked over his shoulder. Lorito gazed at him for a moment before nodding. Good luck. Meadow and I will be ready to take on Ganon when you return. I'll see you soon, Link said, before turning and stepping off Meadow. He opened up his paraglider, which felt somewhat awkward considering the gear attached to his back, but it held his weight as effectively as always. However, as soon as he stepped off of Meadow, he found himself caught in its wake, and all he could do was hang on to the paraglider as the wind buffeted him in all directions. Below, the Gerudo guards began to yell, pointing their spears. Several of them ran inside. He wrestled to gain control over the paraglider, but the momentum from his flight combined with a surprisingly strong wind carried him right towards the upper floor of the palace, rather than the courtyard out front, which is where he'd intended on landing. Swearing loudly, his foot caught the edge of the upper floor's edge, and for a moment, he hung there precariously, still holding his paraglider for dear life and then another gust of wind caught the glider and pushed him forward onto solid ground. Overhead, Meadow turned and rose into the air, heading back north. Below, the guards yelled in the local language, and Link knew right away that his decision was already getting worse. I hope it isn't my worst mistake anyway. There was an open doorway directly in front of him, which revealed a lavishly decorated bedroom with colorful carpets and drapes, a huge bed in its center, and a girl, no older than a young teenager, sitting upon a couch with her legs crossed, quill in hand and a book open on the table before her. Long red hair held in a loose braid fell down her back, and some kind of golden ornamentation that spread out like a fan or wings adorned her head. He was fairly certain that it was a crown. Oh, damn. Of all the- A group of Gerudo burst out of the building at the bottom of the stairs leading up to this level. He held his hands up to show he was not a threat, but that did not stop them from tackling him to the ground. A moment later, the butt of a spear struck him across the temple, and everything went dark. <laughs>